So, Heavenly Father, I thank you today for your word. Thank you for your people. Thank you for your wonderful presence that's here. Thank you for the future. Father, we see a future that's absolutely incredible, that is bright, that is full of life and victory and power and glory. And, Lord, we choose to... Uh, to focus on those things, to walk in those things. We thank you that your spirit is leading us and guiding us. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are our teacher. I thank you that we have an anointing that teaches us all things. We invite the spirit of wisdom and revelation and unveiling to open our hearts to the revelation of Christ so that we can walk more and more into the fullness of who we are as the sons and daughters of God. And we ask this in the mighty name of Jesus, and we give you thanks in advance for it. Amen. I am going to read... A number of passages, so bear with me, and then we will tie them together. The first one I want to read, actually, I'm just going to go from left to right. So I want to start in the book of Proverbs, chapter 4. And uh, if you can't turn there quickly enough, um, just listen. It's one verse, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 18. Then we'll go to Jeremiah 18. But Proverbs 4, 18 says, but the path of the just is like the shining sun that shines ever brighter unto the perfect day. Ever brighter implies more light and less darkness. Yes. And the path of the just a path is for progress. You don't camp out on a path. You don't build a fire on a path, particularly when the sun's coming up. You, uh, if, if you're walking the path, you're progressing. You're leaving someplace and you're going someplace. And as you're walking that path, as you're walking the spiritual journey, if you're doing it in a just way, then there's more and more light that shines on your path. It's progressive. Somebody just say with me, progressive. All right, come with me to Jeremiah 18. <clears throat> Jeremiah 18, verse 1. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. And then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter, so he made it again into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter, says the Lord. Notice he says, can I not do with you? Somebody say, with you. Can I not do with you, with you, as this potter, says the Lord. Look, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Now come with me to Luke's gospel. I'm giving you several metaphors this morning for the same thing. Luke's Gospel, chapter 5, verse 36. Then he spoke a parable to them and said, No one puts a piece from a new garment on an old one. Otherwise, the new makes a tear, and also the piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine will burst the wineskins and be spilled, and the wineskins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins, and both are preserved. And no one, notice he says no one, everybody say no one. And no one having drunk the old wine immediately desires the new, for he says the old is better. And then finally, come with me to John's Gospel, chapter 13. 
verse 20. John's Gospel, chapter 13, verse 20. Last one I'm going to read. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. And when Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Then the disciples looked at one another perplexed about whom he spoke. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. And Simon Peter motioned to him to ask who it was of whom he spoke. Then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, it is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him and Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. But no one at the the table knew for what reason he had said this to him. No one at the table knew. For what reason he had said this to him, but the one who was not at the table, but leaning on the breast of Jesus, was in the know. So let's tie this together. The path of the just is as a shining light that shines more and more unto the perfect day, right? So one of the things that's important for us to understand about God is that the revelation, his light, his revelation, if you are walking the path, is progressive. That means that as you advance, you will have more light than you had the day before. You should have more light, more understanding, more knowledge. Uh, Light causes us to perceive things differently. It's very different to look at something in the shadow. If you can look at something in the shadows, you can get a general idea of shape, but you have no idea of the definition of things. And so it's quite possible that as light is shining and you're looking at the shadows, that you perceive something some way, but as more light comes and the shadows disappear, the perception of it totally changes. So that as you look at it with more light, it's as though you had never seen it before. And so it is with our spiritual journey. Now, one of the things that's very culturally in vogue, not just among Christians today, but just in general, is a push away from religion and towards spirituality. That people in our language, in our culture, they're making a distinction between what is religion and what is spirituality. And so I'm going to use that distinction, though I may be using it somewhat inappropriately. Here's what I mean. For some people, when they're walking the path or they're walking the journey, it's important for them to have solidified exactly perfectly what is true and what is false, what is right and what is wrong. And a lot of people can stop making progress because the concept of what is true and false becomes a stumbling block to them. Here's what I mean. They can see the shadows and say, this is that, and they're absolutely correct. It is that, but it's in the shadows. But it's easy to stay stuck in the shadows And not progress, because when you progress, there's more light, which requires a change of mind and requires a change of thinking. 
And so if we have made up our mind, we don't realize we're making it up. I'm going to say that again. If we have made up our mind, sometimes we don't realize that we're making it up. But we've decided what everything is, and so we make up our mind, we've made it up, and we don't progress. We stop. Because we've drunk the old wine. Told you I'd tie it all together. We have drunk the old wine, and we're accustomed to the old wine, and we're accustomed to the old wineskins. But there's something about the ministry of Jesus. There, there's a reason that parable is in the Gospels. It's not just there for historical accuracy so that we can look at it. It's, it's there to give us some understanding about our own spiritual life and our own spiritual journey to understand that when we walk this path, we are not walking it alone. We are walking it with Jesus. In fact, if we're doing it correctly, we are following Him. And so as we are following him, there come seasons and times in our lives individually and certainly corporately in the church, because we're going to get to Jeremiah's potter's wheel in a second. And that was corporate, not individual. There comes times and seasons where walking with Jesus, he begins to introduce new wine into our lives. He begins to introduce new light. He begins to introduce new wine into our lives. Lives. There are times when he begins to introduce new wineskins and new wine in the life of a corporate people. Or, as he is doing something with us, as, as God is speaking to Jeremiah, who was a true prophet, as God is speaking to Jeremiah, he says, this is what I'm doing with the house of Israel. And so, as God is doing something with the house of Israel, he's, he's, he's got his hands and he's molding and shaping, but there comes a flaw. The, the vessel becomes marred in the process. And this is not a surprise that this never caught any potter off guard. It's something that's to be expected. And so when there is a mar, you don't quit and throw the mold away. You take the mold and you start afresh. You start anew so that you can mold an even better vessel than the one you were getting before. But the point is, is that God is doing it with Israel. God is doing it with a collective people. And if I think if there's one thing that has become crystal clear to me that has changed as I've as I've walked this path, as I've walked this path, particularly the last couple of years, uh, there's been more light. There's been more progress. And particularly because of my unique calling, people will say to me all the time, where do you get this stuff from the scriptures? It's a gift It's a gift. I don't know why God gave it to me. Sometimes I wish he hadn't. Sometimes I wish I could just come in and pat everybody on the back and say, Jesus loves you. God bless you. Any day now, the heavens are going to open and Jesus is going to come back and grab us out of this nasty place and take us on to heaven. But for whatever reason, God has not allowed me (laughs) to camp out there. And so as a church, God has not allowed us to camp out there either. And please understand this about me, that that my gifting is revelatory. I I get things by revelation, which means I get things in prayer. I get things in encounters with the Holy Spirit. I get things in encounters with Jesus and visions and dreams, revelations. That's just part of the function of the gifting that God has given me. And so I'll get this stuff, but I don't I don't just run with it. In other words, I don't just preach to you by revelation, because here's the thing. I think that any revelation needs to be grounded in the Christian conversation 
Christian and really don't get triggered by this word in Christian tradition. Here's what I mean. There is a corporate context for the corporate body. And God never authorized someone to release an individual revelation into a corporate context without corporate conversation. So those that are the best at Christian theology say, We use the scriptures, but we do not use the scriptures alone. We use the scriptures, but we have the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We can have revelation of the Holy Spirit, but we don't use revelation alone because we understand it's a corporate thing that is done in dialogue and done in conversation. And so it has to be grounded in experience and it has to be grounded in tradition and it has to be grounded in reason. So if I get something by revelation, then it's important to me to say, okay, where is this conversation taking place? And so for the last uh, while, there have been things that have been coming to me by revelation that uh, and I've been looking for the conversation. Are you still tracking with me? And so I met a, a, a prophet from the UK in his 70s um, recently. And for whatever reason, well, it was just it was by the spirit. We just connected and he recommended that I read a book that a friend of his had written uh, that he cannot get published because no Christian publisher wants to touch it. But you can download it from his website. And so I go to the website and I download the book and I'm reading it there when I'm in Africa in the mornings. And I'm communing with the Lord and I'm talking with him and I begin to read the first couple of chapters and I sit there and I begin to weep because it, I felt like this person was articulating the same journey that I had been on. And I finally connected my revelation to conversation. And I realized there's more going on. And, and then and then. This person was very studious, and so I go to bibliographies. That's how I find a lot of the books, because I can't find them at Christian bookstores, because there really isn't anything worth reading that's that's on the bestseller list for me. So I find these, and I find, wow, there's this whole conversation that's been going on, and so there's a grounding that happens and a grounding that takes place, but it's also necessary for me to pull back for a season to make sure that I'm hearing accurately what the Spirit of God is saying before I release some of the stuff that I've been meditating on for the last couple of years. Is that cool? Now, here's the interesting thing. Why? So, so, so God has given us, and I say us, He's given us a unique place. He's given us a unique ministry. And, uh, and I believe the church is at a place corporately in America and in the West. And there are many that are saying this. And many of you know this already intuitively. You know it inside your heart. And you're looking. And perhaps part of the reason that you're here is because you're getting the confirmation. You're, you're, you're getting revelation of it. You just don't know how to articulate it. And so when we talk about it, it confirms what's already inside you. And you say, I knew that. I just didn't know how to say that. Can I get an Amen. amen. And so, and so one of the things that happens, truly prophetic ministry, truly prophetic companies, truly prophetic communities are not just people who can do words of knowledge 
A word of knowledge is a gift that's open to anybody. So there was a season in my life and in the life of this church that God really blessed us with with gifts of the Spirit, words of knowledge, signs and wonders, miracles, that kind of thing. Every meeting, almost every every service. And there was a season that I was operating more in that. People say, uh, and, and so that's kind of the model that we have, that that's what prophetic ministry looks like. But can I tell you what real prophetic ministry is? Here's real prophetic ministry. Real prophetic ministry happens when God is doing something with people. And he's got them on the potter's wheel. And there's a mar in the vessel. Because God understands it's part of the process. So if there's one thing I've come to understand in the last couple of years, it's that God really is not offended by my mars. (laughs) He's He's not the least bit offended by my... Uh, faulty, what we would consider from our snooty Western perspective, Western Christian perspective, our snooty Western Christian perspective, he, he is not concerned uh, about uh, the flaws. He's, he's not offended by them. He does not withdraw. It's this amazing thing about God with humanity. He wants to do something with us, never apart from us. And he understands that we haven't arrived yet. I'm going to do things with my children, even though uh, their brain is not as developed as mine. I want to do it with them. And I can't expect them to come up to my level. I have to come down to their level. And so the entire Christian message is that God stoops in order to have relationship with humanity. That he comes down in order to relate with us because he wants to do stuff with us. And so he understands that in that process, there's going to be flaws in the vessel. But he doesn't throw the vessel away. But see, in Jeremiah's metaphor, he's talking corporately, not individually. And so as a church, I'm speaking collectively, I'm speaking to a lot more than just the people that are here today. As we've been on this journey, as we've been on this path, God is attempting to release more light. God is attempting to release new wine. God is attempting to release. It's the season. Let me say it that way, not attempting, but it's the season of new wine. It's the season of new vessels. It's a season of new wineskins. It's a season of of, of greater revelation. And, And as greater revelation comes, it's going to change the revelation that you had before. Because before you didn't know you were looking at a shadow doesn't mean the shadow was wrong. It just means it was incomplete. And the fact that you're changing is the fact that you're progressing on the path of the just and the shining light is shining more and more into the perfect day. So what is prophetic ministry? Jesus said this, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country and among his own kin. Yes. Why is that? Because... As revelation comes to a people in a corporate context, we develop a communal ideology. In other words, what brings us together is we gather together around shared ideas and shared concepts. I go, I go someplace where they believe like me. I get among my own But it's much easier for a corporate group to get stuck on the path than just an individual to get stuck on the path. 
And so we gather around these corporate ideologies and we think this is the way it is. And so God's method of bringing more light, God's method of bringing new vessels, God's method of bringing new wine and new wineskins is he taps some of us on the shoulder and takes us outside. It's, it's a very, it can be a very lonely place to be because you go outside the corporate communal thinking and context of the community in which you are in. And begin to see and hear things that people in your relational context are not seeing and hearing. So that true prophetic ministry has nothing to do with being able to read your mail and tell you the name of your dog and your address and your password and, and all that stuff. There, there is a place for that in the context of the flowing and the moving of the Spirit in the body of Christ. But that's not true prophetic ministry. True prophetic ministry happens when God takes you outside the paradigm and shows you things that other people are not seeing. Then introduces you back into the paradigm to speak something that challenges, that literally, if you will, breaks the old wineskin. But because no one, have no one having tasted the old, immediately prefers the new. Prophets, true prophets, then become the most misunderstood and maligned people in the community because you're challenging the communal context. And in many cases, the ideology, the doctrine, the belief system, the tradition becomes, the, becomes exalted even above the Lordship of Christ. So that literally you're challenging not only an ideology, but an idolology. And because no one, having drunk the old, immediately prefers the new, you can become, you get it. That's why they threw Jeremiah in a pit. If you read the book of Jeremiah, he's standing outside the ideology of Judah, and he's speaking a different word, and they don't want to hear it. <laughs> Jesus comes to Israel speaking a totally different word than what they were used to. Please understand, the Jewish religion was a violent religion. Please understand that their concept of the kingdom of God has come was not... At all, what Jesus was teaching, their concept of the kingdom of God has come, was we're getting ready to go to war and destroy our enemies by the sword. And Jesus says, he who lives by the sword will die by the sword. Jesus says, uh, bless those that curse you and pray for those who despitefully use you. Jesus said, Jesus comes with a completely nonviolent image and Jesus conquers by being the victim of violence, not the perpetrator of violence. They were expecting a Messiah who would come and perpetrate violence and Jesus comes and overturns the whole system by being the victim of violence and saying this actually is the way to conquer. So that Jesus is functioning as a prophet outside the paradigm, totally rewriting the paradigm. Which is why he said no prophet is without honor except in his own country and among his own people. Are you breathing? Are you sure? 
So that brings us to the story of the Last Supper. We're, we're getting ready to enter a new season in the Christian tradition. Wednesday is Ash Wednesday when we begin the season of Lent and we begin to focus on uh, Christ and his triumphant entry into Jerusalem, his death and his resurrection culminating on, we think, Easter Sunday, but actually the event culminates 50 days later on Pentecost Sunday with the exaltation of Christ and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is getting ready to initiate the new thing. And when he sits at the table, you know the story, this is the blood of the new covenant shed for the remission of sins. He uses a cup of wine. Why? Because he's getting ready to introduce new wine. He's getting ready to make the old wineskin completely obsolete. It's no longer about Israel. It's about the world. It's no longer about a violent, forceful conquering approach. It's about a nonviolent, loving approach. It's no longer about the sword in the hand. It's about the sword of the Spirit. And the gospel being preached to all the nations is the way that he conquers. When he comes in the book of Revelation, he's not coming to shed blood with a sword in his hand. He's conquering with a sword that's coming out of his mouth. And he's the lamb slain who conquers. There's so much in that I can't even begin to unpack it right now. Do you see it? So here's the disciples at a crucial moment where they're about to become incredibly perplexed because their expectations have now been violated. And their leader... (laughs) is talking to them about, I mean, they're facing the fact he had told them that he was going to die on the cross, but they're actually now going to have to witness the humiliation, the degradation. Because remember, Christ is being executed as a criminal. You know the end of the story, so sometimes we miss the drama of the story, but if you put yourself in the narrative, please understand that that they're getting ready to enter a very difficult season of transition. That absolutely what's happening at the Last Supper is a transition. It's, It's a transition from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant, yes, but for the disciples it's a transition from walking with Jesus of Nazareth, the Word who became flesh, and transitioning into what would become a walk by the Spirit, where they would not know Jesus, Jesus in time and space, but they would know Jesus through the gift and the power of the Holy Spirit, where the whole relationship was going to begin to change. Their entire understanding, their entire comprehension of who Jesus was and what his mission was and what the gospel of the kingdom was all about was going to go through an incredible revolutionary change. So they're in transition. And they're sitting at the table, and Jesus knows something that the rest of them don't know. And he tells them, and it's interesting, if you read the story, first he tells Peter that Peter's going to deny him. Then he immediately says, one of you is going to betray me. And you got to know Peter's sitting there thinking, is he talking about me? So he's telling one of you here is going to betray me. So Peter goes to the disciple who's leaning against The master. And he says, ask him. Ask him who it is. So what does John do? John leans back and puts his head 
on the breast of the Messiah where he could hear the heartbeat of Jesus. And he says, who is it? And Jesus discloses his secret about what is to come to the one who took time to withdraw from the company and lean his ear on the breast of Christ. So that everybody at the table is not in the know. You see the prophetic paradigm? Everybody at the table is not in the know, but the one who drew closest to Jesus in the time of transition (laughs) and listened carefully for the heartbeat of God is the one who became in the know about what was about to occur. And so as you read the story as John tells it, Peter den- Judas betrays him, Peter denies him, all the disciples forsake him but one. There's one disciple at the trial, and it's John, the one who leaned on his breast. There's one disciple at the foot of the cross with the women, and it's John who leaned his ear on the breast of Christ. In John's account, he's the first disciple into the empty tomb. Why? Because in the time of transition, he leaned his head on the chest or the breast of the Messiah. Are you hearing me? So here's where I think we are, and I'm I'm not speaking just to us as a church. I'm trying to help you understand part of our mission as a church, because we don't fit in the normal paradigm. If you don't believe me, go visit some other places in the next three months. We don't fit in the normal paradigm, but please understand that what we've had in America is collapsing. It's absolutely collapsing. The, the so-called religious right, I don't care who's president, I don't care what legislation gets passed, the so-called religious right is losing the quote-unquote culture war. But we want to keep drinking the same old wine because no one having drunk of the old, immediately desires the new. But for those that are maybe, I don't know what it is, just for those that that say, you know what, that, that can be honest, they can be really honest about where things are. If we understand that perhaps the vessel that has been the church has been marred, In the hand of the potter. But at the same time we can understand that he's committed to doing something with us, not without us. That even when the vessel becomes marred, he doesn't spit on the clay and throw it in the trash can. Which some have done who have left the church. He doesn't curse the clay for being marred. Instead, he begins anew. 
And somewhere in the Bible I read, God doesn't do anything new, but that he first shares his secrets with his friends, the prophets. And so if we can recognize the collapse of what has been, then we need to understand that it is a season for new wine and new wineskins. And if we are progressing upon the path of the just, it is also a season for new light and new revelation. Which means we have to begin to listen for a new sound. Or, you could say it like this, we have to be willing to withdraw and lay our head on the breast of Christ so that we are not going through a medium or a mediator. We are not going through a book and we are not going through a person. But we ourselves are willing to disconnect from the table of fellowship that gives us comfort and say, I will pull my self close to the Messiah. I will lay my ear on the breast of Jesus and listen from his bosom for the heartbeat of God. Because in John's Gospel, chapter 10, Jesus says this. He says, My sheep know my voice, and I call them all by name. And I lead them out in order to bring them in. See, now we're working with another metaphor. There's, there's good pasture where we've been. But that pasture doesn't always last forever. And so a wise shepherd knows when it's time to leave the pasture that was and move on to greener pastures down the road. And so he begins to take you away from where you've been comfortable and from where you've been feeding and the table at which you've been sitting. And he begins to lead you into a deeper, more intimate, more personal relationship where you know his voice and he calls you by name and he leads you out in order to lead you into something new. But here's what we have to understand about transitions that between the old pasture and the new, it's not like it's not like pastures are right next to each other. Sometimes between the old pasture and the new pasture, you have to go through some dry territory. Sometimes you have to go through some valleys. Sometimes you have to go over some cliffs. There are wolves and predators out there. And so it is more necessary during those times that you're listening for the voice of your shepherd. Because he's the only one that can lead you to safety. But if he calls your name, if he calls your name and you're too comfortable with where you've been, eventually he'll move down the road to where you don't hear his voice anymore. Now you're really in the dangerous place. See, people stay in the old because they think it's, they think the familiar is safe. We, we equate familiarity with safety because we've made up our mind, not realizing we're making up our mind. See, we're listening to our own mind that we're making up instead of the voice of the shepherd who's moving on. 
And so you've got to realize that in those moments, the safest place to be is in the wilderness with Jesus. The safest place to be is on the edge of the cliff. The safest place to be is in the valley. Because somehow he's, he's taking us from where we were to where we're going because there's greener pastures on the other side. There's a new vessel that he's shaping and that he's molding. There's a new wineskin and there's new wine. And as we progress on this path of the just, more and more light begins to chase away the shadows so that we see with more clarity and greater depth, even though what we're thinking necessitates, it necessitates that what we're thinking and what we're saying and what we're doing is very different than what we thought and what we said and what we did before. And so I want to invite you in this season. This may be different. This may be disconcerting for some. This, this may be unusual season. Maybe a difficult season. It may be a trying season. But there's no way around it. Corporately as a church, and I'm speaking locally now, locally, corporately as a church, we're in transition. And Christ is leading us into a different pasture. And I can be transparent enough as a leader to say, I don't know what that pasture is going to look like. I haven't got there yet. But in or, but you know what? I'm not even committed to being a leader. I've had so much leadership training. Ugh. It's true. But you know what? Jesus, he really, he's not looking for leaders. He really isn't. He's looking for followers. He's not looking for somebody that has it all figured out. And that's one of the things, you know, some of my pastor friends told me. They said, well, you're leading people, and even though it's wrong, they look up to you, and with you being gone, it's going gonna, it's gonna to mess them up. I'm like, you know what? I have this much interest. And they said, well, whatever you do, don't be transparent. Like, that's advice I'm getting from men of God. And I get it because we're still dominated in our movement by a culture that sits at the judgment seat more than they sit at the mercy seat with Jesus. I get it. It's coming from a pure heart and a good place in their heart when they counsel me in that way. But here's the deal, guys. I haven't got a clue. John didn't know he was going to be the first one into the tomb. And I'm not saying, I'm not comparing myself to John. I'm just trying to, to, do, do you understand what I'm saying? I'm just saying, here's one of the, all-time greatest leaders ever in the church, right? The disciple who Jesus loved. The disciple that followed him to the cross. He didn't know where this thing was going to end. When he's sitting there following Jesus and sitting at the foot of the cross, he doesn't know that three days later he's going to be going to the empty tomb. Because read the story. They don't know where the body is. They've taken away my Lord and I don't know where they've laid him. I don't know what that other pasture is going to look like. I don't got a clue. And, I, and we might be navigating some dangerous territory at the moment. But I ain't your leader. I don't want to be. Somebody just woke up. Said, what? What do you say? <laughs> Get off Facebook, listen. 
Look, my heart's desire, I want to follow Him. And all of us have the opportunity. Because we're all the disciple. That, that, that's what John's trying to communicate. What John's trying to communicate in his gospel is not look at me. That's why he doesn't refer to himself by name. He's, he's inviting you to enter the story to realize that you're every bit as much the disciple whom Jesus loves as he is. And that all of us have the opportunity to lay our head on Jesus' breast. To hear our shepherd call our name. And follow him to where he's leading us. And that's the beauty of the gospel. And I believe part of what God's doing, he's deconstructing leadership. Because he's not looking for leaders. He's looking for followers. He's not looking for ministry. He's looking for intimacy. And the danger for us really is this. If we don't lean on Jesus' breast, we could end up in the place of Peter. Knowing him, but denying him. Because he's come in a form that we did not recognize. Because we didn't have our ear close enough to the Master's heart. And the new revelation of Christ does not match. What, what he's doing does not match what we expected him to do based on our limited information. And so we don't know the new because having tasted the old, we say the old is better. And we can end up in the place of Peter denying him. Or we can end up in the place of John following him. And it all depends on how close we're willing to get when seasons get dark and difficult. And unexpected events start showing up in our lives. Amen. So please, in the next three months, have your ear on the breast of Christ and listen for His heartbeat because He's taken us someplace really wonderful. Every single one of you. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your people. Lord, I bless them. I, I pray a blessing over this place. I Pray a blessing over this people. Jesus, I trust you so much to lead us and to guide us and to lead them and to guide them. And so, Father, I release and commit them into your hands because you're the shepherd. You're the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And I bless them and I bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.